Good morning. morning. Open your Bibles with me, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Brother Harry has read this for us, so we won't take time to read the whole chapter again, but there it is. Title this uh, this message, Remembering to Remember. Um, Remembering to Remember. You know, if I, I guess if we were to kind of take a survey here and ask, ask how many of you remember God, uh, probably all of you would respond, um, uh, yes, I, I remember God. But, you know, there's other ways in which we can forget God. There's other ways in which we can kind of uh, neglect uh, to remember to remember. I want to talk about that a little bit today. And um, in a few moments, we're going to have this, this uh, reminder. Uh, some of you see this up here. Um, Nothing, uh, nothing secret under there. You know what's under there. For those of you visiting with us, yeah, there's nothing, nothing secretive there. Hey, listen, this is our, this is our third week of, uh, of Missions Month, and um, we're excited about talking about these things. I'm so glad that Tim and Nick are here and get to share this with us, and uh, this was a pleasant surprise for all of us, I think, uh, for you being here. I think Eric had told me you guys were going to be here, but I actually forgot, but I'm glad you're here. I know, isn't it awful to be forgotten? Uh, I'm uh, I'm glad we're talking about mem- remembering things. So uh, here we are. You guys are a perfect illustration. Um, uh, again, in, in a few moments, we're going to remember the Lord's Supper. You might be asking, well, what does this have to do with missions? What does this have to do with with um, missions? And I, I guess I want to argue that it has everything to do with missions. As I stated in in the first thing that we were here, really, Christ is the mission. Mm. Yeah. Right? It's, it's about His glory, the glory of our triune God. And I mean, what better way to glorify God than to remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? And by the way, I hope you guys remember this too. What are we doing? What are we doing when we do this? It, it, is, it is a memorial, isn't it? But it's more than that. As Paul said, as often as we do this, what? You are proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. So I, I, I say, I say it, is, it, it is at the heart of the mission that what we do here at the at the table is is it is it is missions it is it is the mission right to bring glory to God as we remember the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ you may have heard the saying how soon they forget or how soon we forget I mean I think that's more than just a clever saying it's a truth isn't it uh, sports fans forget uh, that their team uh, won last year when their team is losing what this year <laughs> yeah Carolina fans sorry <laughs> Children forget the sacrifices of their parents uh, uh, that their parents make for them. Students forget uh, the, the teachers that taught them, and along with a lot of other stuff, as we as students, right? We, we forget faces, we forget uh, dates, we forget places, uh, we even forget the names of old friends. Sometimes I was at a wedding wedding yesterday of my uh, my, my nephew, and uh, some people came up to me and started talking to me, and I'm like, "Hey, you!" I'm like. I hate that. I hate that, but it's so true. It's so true. So true. You know, but fortunately, most of what we forget is not all that serious. Praise God for that. But forgetfulness, listen, in the, in the spiritual realm is most serious. To forget God, to forget, to forget our Savior, to, for, to, to forget what the Lord has done for us is, is most serious. In fact, I would say, in fact, in terms in terms of our, our thinking, we, we cannot forget our God. Amen. We cannot forget what He's done for us. 
But I'm afraid that it's been all too common in the church and in the world in which we live to God. In the world of science, there's no more prestigious institution than Cambridge University's Cavendish Laboratory, home to more than two centuries of Nobel Prize winning scientists and research, and, uh, including the discovery of DNA, by the way. It's inscribed over the entrance uh, of, of, the, uh, of the laboratory there, Psalm 111, verse 2. It says, The works of the Lord are great, sought out or pondered by all of them that have pleasure therein. That's the King James translation. The verse in Latin was carved in oak over the original entrance where, when the laboratory was established back in 1874 um, by Cavendish professor of physics James Maxwell. Maxwell is known for numerous achievements in mathematical physics, including formulating the classical theory of electromagnetic radiation. Brother Ed will uh, explain that to you after the service. <laughs> he was also a committed follower of Jesus Christ. It's the, the verse above the laboratory. When the laboratory moved to its present site, 100 years later, the inaugural verse was again uh, uh, placed there in that place, now of course in English. If you're shocked by that, um, um, the idea of a scientist, particularly scientists that, uh, that we know today, the, the idea of, of Scripture taking kind of a, a prominent place, it, it was much more prominent in, in centuries past. Yes. The, the idea that God shaped their thinking, their understanding of the universe... Prominent uh, early scientist uh, Johannes Kepler, for example, spoke for many, uh, many in his time when he described his work as thinking God's thoughts after him. I like that. How, um, how do we transition? My, how things have changed. <laughs> things have changed, not for the better. I, I think in many places and even in many churches we've forgotten our God. As a result, we don't fully understand our role in the world, I mean, speaking in terms of missions. Many professing Christians go right back to their former way of life. Yeah, they profess to know Christ. Yeah, they walked an aisle that said the, preacher, the prayer that the preacher asked them to pray. They were baptized, catechized, catechized, joined a church, whatever the case may be, and then go right back to the former way of life. Listen, to forget our Savior, to forget our God, to forget our Creator is not just some small thing to pass over quickly. It, it, it is a dangerous error. It is a dangerous sin, one that can have both temporal and eternal consequences. We certainly see that in our text. This is why remembering is a central theme in Scripture. It, it was the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 17, verse 10, who said, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Mm. I mean, think about it. All the feasts and the festivals of the Old Testament, what were they for? They, they, were, they were meant to be, what? Memorials. Memorials of their God and the great grace and deliverances that God had given them. In those, in those feasts and festivals, what were they doing? They were remembering God. Uh-huh. Even come to the New Testament, it was, it was the, the great apostle Peter said in the second letter, the, the third chapter, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. You may remember the words of our Lord to His disciples when He said, Remember the word that I said to you. (laughs) 
God knows, listen, God knows that the gravitational pull of human awareness is not toward remembering Him. The natural trend of fallen man and fallen humanity, even redeemed man, listen, is not toward remembering, but toward forgetting. This is why we have something like this. Christ knows. He knows that we forget. And He knows that sometimes we forget the most important things, the vital things, the things that are life and death. Yes. We forget. The book of Deuteronomy records Moses' final address to the people that he's led for decades. Moses is not going to be with them as they cross into the land. <laughs> you guys know that. Soon, great spiritual forces will be disputing over the body of Moses. I mean, these are serious words here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Words, words from, a, I think, a desperate man. But more than that, these are the words of God. These are the words that God had given Moses to speak to the people. This is the reiteration of the law. This is the, the re-instruction, if you, if you will, of the people who are getting ready to go in and occupy the land that God has given them. They're now crossing the Jordan. They're now going to occupy what we call the promised land. Now without Moses, without his stable leadership, without his presence, right? No doubt he he chooses his parting words very, very carefully. One of the themes, again, that, that dominates this whole section of Scripture, much like many other places of Scripture, is remember. 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 In fact, he says it over and over again. I I, I was trying to get Harry to uh, say the word remember in a British accent so you would listen better when he was reading, but uh, he wouldn't do it for me. But but there it is. There it is. Remember. Remember not to forget. Don't forget to remember. Remember to remember. Listen, and I want to say this to you right up front. Remembering, listen, are you here? Remembering is for God's people. It's not for the unbeliever. I mean, what do they have to remember in terms of God? They don't have anything to remember. But you and I have the most to remember. Are you listening? We have the most to remember. We've experienced God. We've experienced His grace. We've known Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. We know the forgiveness that He's given us. We know that Christ died on the cross for our sins. We know that His blood was shed for our forgiveness, right? We, we have the most to remember. Remembering, is for, remembering God is for God's people. It is for those who have some previous knowledge, some previous experience with God. It's not for the unbeliever. They have nothing to remember of God and His salvation, and we have everything to remember. And Moses says, only be careful. There's his warning. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. That's chapter 4 verse 9. Moses anticipates that time and success will pose a particular temptation. We know sometimes time can be a healer, but also sometimes time can be uh, something that, uh, that clouds our thinking, that clouds our mind and understanding. Those of us who are getting a little older, we, we understand that, don't we? Time doesn't always heal our brains. <laughs> yeah, Moses knows. Moses anticipates that time and success will pose a particular temptation. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commandments and His laws and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. 
but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is this day. Several verses there in chapter 8. Moses is concerned that, again, that time and success will lead to selfish pride and not to remembering God. Time can be a healer again, but also time without God, without the memory of God, can be devastating. So this highlights one of the greatest dangers for God's people, that is forgetting God. Well, let me walk, walk with you sort of in a, in a big picture sort of way through chapter 8 here. And then I want to talk to you very specifically about ways in which we can remember. Can we do that today? So let me just kind of uh, just walk you through this very, very, very quickly here. Just kind of big picture here. And I just want to kind of give you some warnings here, some, some things to beware of uh, from the text. And, and here's the, the first thing that I want you to see there in the text. It is, uh, that is, be warned or beware of forgetting God when life gets good. Beware of forgetting God when life gets good. And that's found in verses 1 through 11. Now, we talked about uh, certainly some of the things in the past, but, but he also spoke of the things that are to come, the things in the future. Just picking up the story there in verse, uh, verse 4, it says, Your clothing did not wear out. That was when they were in the wilderness. On you or your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. You hear that? That's prosperity. A land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley and of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose heels you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Take care, be warned, beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and rules and statutes which, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We'll pause there for just a minute. Beware forgetting God when life gets good. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that, that idea when, when, when life gets when life gets good. And we probably could all argue here that for us, for most of us here, life is pretty good. Yes. I mean, uh, I think most of you are fully clothed today. Praise God for that. Most of you look uh, fully fed today. Praise God for that. Uh, we, have, uh, we have some good air conditioning in here. Some of you are freezing and enjoying that right now. I know Brother Eric is. You know, the Lord's been good to us, hasn't He, in many ways. Amen. And, and can, can we not take time Lord, to, to count all of our spiritual, rich spiritual blessings as well? The forgiveness of sin, the home in heaven, the family of faith that God has brought us into. I mean, we, 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 could, we, could count, we could count our blessings, could we not, in terms of our relationship to God. The justification, the, the, the right standing before God is His declaration of our righteousness, the imputation of Christ's righteousness, Christ taking our sins, we receiving or through, through imputation the righteousness of Christ, God accepting us based upon that, being reconciled to God, we who were far off, we who were strangers and aliens, now being reconciled yes. to God. Right? God satisfying His own wrath through the death of His Son so that we can escape this judgment that is to come upon I mean, can we not just go on and on and on about the, yes. the, the, the rich blessings that we've been given in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
It's easy sometimes, I think, to remember God when things are hard. You know, when, when things are difficult, when things are, when things are hard in life, what do, what do we typically do? And I'm speaking to Christians here today. For the unbeliever, we might despair. They might despair. Uh, they might turn to many other things, to, to alcohol or drugs or, or, or the secular counselor. But we turn to the wonderful counselor, don't we? Yes. We turn to God. We, we, we pray. We, we seek His good pleasure and His will. It's easy to remember God, I think, or easier when things are hard. This is when most of us diligently seek the Lord, when we cry out to Him, when we depend on Him. You remember the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel? There they were. They were a dependent people. And yeah, they had their moments where they complained against God wanted to go back to Egypt. Yeah, they kind of had that golden calf moment. Yeah, a whole generation of, of Israelites died in the wilderness. But they had a day-by-day dependence on God. And we know that by God, what? Providing the manna. You remember the manna? The manna. You know what manna means? It means what is it? They didn't even know what it was. And God gave it to them day by day, this bread from heaven. You remember the quail? God fed them with the quail day by day. They had everything that they needed. You remember the water from the rock? Yeah, God provided them day by day. And they're, they're in, in one sense, their hands were empty. And they came to God with empty hands, needing from God uh, their, their, their daily sustenance. So they depend upon God. We saw the active hand of God in the wilderness, did we not? Even though, again, they had their moments of grumbling and impatience, they actively saw the hand of God. The giving of the law, the smoking mountain, the fire by night, the cloud by day, they saw and witnessed the verbal verbal and the active presence of God in their life there in the wilderness. And then they entered the land. <laughs> and Moses doesn't. He warns them. He strongly warns them. When you come into the land, some things are going to change. Some things are going to happen. You're going to come into a land flowing with milk and honey. You hear that? A land flowing with milk and honey. A, a land of provision, right? A land, a, a, a land where, where God is going to meet all your needs through all the stuff that's there, right? And, and of course we see that when they come into the land, God gives them some pretty cool deliverances. I mean, that whole story about the, the walls of, uh, of um, Jericho come tumbling down, it's a pretty amazing story, pretty miraculous story, by the yes. way. But then, but, but then time happens. And, and prosperity comes, and time happens, and what happens to the people of Israel? What do they do? They forget God. <laughs> they go right back to some of the same sinful patterns. We know God does. He continues to deliver them. He continues to raise up deliverers and saviors for them. What happens? When their hands were empty, they depended upon God. When their hands were full, what do they do? They go right back to their self-dependence and their pride and all those kinds of things, forgetting God. I think we're much like that. They enter the land... They experience the conquest, they see success and they prosper, no longer seeing the active works of God and begin to think, my own hand has led to my success. The danger, I think, becomes most prevalent when we're enjoying prosperity. It's ironic, isn't it, that we find ourselves forgetting God because of many of the blessings that He Himself has given to us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when our hands are full, we forget the lessons we learned when our hands were empty. Yes. Forty years the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness with little or no possessions. Each step of the way, and totally on God to provide and meet their needs. Manna, quail, water from the rock. And now they're making ready to enter into a land of milk and honey, the promised land, where they would settle down and enjoy the blessings of God. And we know from history what happens. Even with the warnings, they forget God. 
seems when we have little, we live in dependence on God. But when our bellies and our pockets are full, we tend to think a little bit more highly of ourselves. It, it, it is telling, I think, how Christians in other parts of the world talk and relate to God in comparison to fat Americans. They, they oftentimes speak of God in relation to provisions and success in ministry. But here people talk about their own hard work and their own investments. And yes, God does use hard work and wise investments. And I don't want to, I don't want to just downplay that. But let's not forget who gives us wisdom yes. and who gives us the ability to achieve yes. wealth. Yeah. Hmm. There's a another result or another warning I think here in the Scripture, not only, not only there in, in, in those first, uh, uh, first 11 verses, but from verse 12 to verse 17, the, the, you, you, see, uh, you see the result of forgetting God. Look, look at verse 12 and we'll just pick it up there. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart, uh, your heart be uh, lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through uh, the great and terrifying wilderness and its fiery serpent, serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you uh, water out of the flinty rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that He might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, here it is, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as to this day. Hmm. I love that phrase, or like that phrase, a pretty telling phrase, then thine heart be lifted up, verse 14. Pride, I think, is, the, is what he's describing here. Selfish pride, human pride. Pride of God's people, by the way. A selfish pride, a, a, a replacement pride. A, a, a pride that says, you know, me and mine are all that I need. Pride is lodged. Where is it lodged? It's lodged in the seat of our personality, the heart, it says. That's, that's the core of our being. Uh, or, or, or pride has found its way into our hearts and, 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 and lives. That's the idea. Pride, pride it will, will certainly cause us to forget our need for dependence on the Lord. Pride, pride begins to grow when we forget our absolute dependence on God. Let me say, this, say it this way. Pride's a killer, by the way. Yes. It's a spiritual killer. It can often masquerade itself in its success and its achievements and its wealth and even declare, look what God has done for me and all the while just what? Seeking its own glory. Seeking its own glory. It's sinister, pride is. It's one of those sins that we, that we easily see in someone else and not ourselves. Can we not readily see it in other people and not ourselves? In fact, I would say that some of you sitting right here are sitting there thinking to, my, thinking to yourself, man, I know somebody who needs to hear this. You see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I like what uh, one preacher said. He says, Pride is the human peacock strutting his way to hell. It doesn't see a need for God. It is the God of independence, self-reliance, the God of self, the self-made man. It is the little man who thinks himself to be big. Moses says here, And you say in thine heart, or your heart, verse 17, hmm, Notice that it's in our hearts. There's deep-seated, right? It's, it's, it's there. By the way, this is the, the, let's remind ourselves, this is Israel. 
This is, this is not a, a pagan nation. This is not a nation out there somewhere. This is Israel. And he says this pride, this, this arrogance, it, it, this capacity for a lack of dependence on God, for the self-reliance is in your where? In your hearts. Huh. Listen, it's true of us too. I think we can still go through the motions of worship, publicly thanks, but in our hearts, what? Take credit for it. That's, uh, I think, the deceptiveness of our enemy. We forget God and think that it's been by our own abilities and own wisdom that we've succeeded or that we've been successful in ministry or whatever it is. Instead of, how great thou art, we sing, I did it my way. Well, let me give you a little check here just to kind of check your own pride. Let me ask you about your prayer life. How's your prayer life? What do you do first thing in the morning when you, when you get up? It really is revealing, I think. It's revealing about a church when we only have a couple handfuls of people show up on a Wednesday night. When we, when we you know, get up in the morning and the first thing we do is not think about God, not, not to, to pray and ask God, God, I need you today. But you know, we read the newspaper or we read this or that or we get on with our life or whatever the case may be. It really is telling about us. It really does say something about what we think about God or what we, how we feel about God or dependence on God. Prayerlessness, I think, is a pretty good indicator for what or how we think about God and ourselves. Um, time in the Word, there's another one. To neglect time in the Word, I think, is pretty telling about us too. I mean, don't we need God? Don't we need God? Don't we need His wisdom for parenting, for, for life, for decisions for the day? I mean, I do. I do. For success, for the mission, for what we're doing here as a church, don't we need God and His Word? I think we do. Your prayer life, your time in the Word, I think is pretty telling about whether we're depending on God or whether we're full of self and pride. The Bible also tells us here there's some consequences to this kind of forgetfulness because it really is, it really is kind of sort of equal to some form of idolatry yeah. to forget God. You're just going to replace God with something else, probably usually ourselves, a selfish, idolatrous worship of ourselves. Verse 19 and 20. Uh, says this, And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today, isn't that good of God to warn us? I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. I mean, um, what's the difference between us and the pagan? Should there be something different about us and the pagan? Should our conversations be different? Should our, should our practices and, 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 and what we do and who we talk to and what we think about, shouldn't it, shouldn't it be different? Here he's saying if we forget God, we're, we're no different. We're, we're just like them. If we refuse to pray or refuse to acknowledge God or refuse to, to meditate on His Word, yeah. He says you shall surely pray. Listen, sometimes there are serious consequences to forgetting God. Yeah. Dangerous ones. This is why Moses, Moses mentions discipline from God here. The Lord loves, loves us too much, I think, to allow us to live that way. To allow us to live in forgetfulness. For whom the Lord loves, what He chastens, He disciplines. It's just an echo, or the writer of Hebrews echoed this Old Testament passage back here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Those He loves, He disciplines or chastens. Well, we, we need to kind of, you know, I've, I've heaped some pretty heavy load on you here, but uh, let me give you some ways in which we can remember. Can I do that? And I hope that these are just right from the 
Scripture. Ways in which we can remember God and certainly our duty and, and, and our responses to who He is. How can, how, can, how can we remember to remember? Moses provides his people with, with what we may call practices of memory. In, in, intentional. These are deliberate patterns of, of behavior that remind us of God and His salvation and His provision. And, and, and I think building these activities in, in, into the real, rhythms of life give us, give us these sort of ongoing, regular opportunities to stop and, and, and to remember. And so let me, let me just kind of give you these from the Scripture. These are going to be, certainly all these are from, from Deuteronomy, but, um, but let me just kind of list these out for you. Moses takes the memory, uh, makes the memory connection explicit when he charges them to teach their children. You go back there to chapter 4, verse 9, and then to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them what diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. Can you see how he's giving these memory, these, these things to help them remember? You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I mean, what, what a connection for the church and the Great Commission. Right? To, to, remember, the, what's the first words of the Great Commission? What Go therefore what? And make disciples. Do we have a greater opportunity to make disciples than right there in our own homes? To diligently teach our children. Hmm. <laughs> A great way, I think, to commit something to memory is, is, is to teach it. And you may be, be arguing, well, Pastor, I'm not a teacher. Certainly we have the warning of James chapter 3, verse 1, let not many of you become teachers. But what he's referring to is that formal idea of you standing and instructing people. But what it doesn't mean, what it doesn't mean is that you and I as believers don't have a responsibility to make disciples, to teach. You as a parent certainly are a teacher. And you're either going to be a good one or a bad one, but you're going to be a teacher in some way. Children are going to learn something from you. Right? I was talking to these, uh, these uh, ladies, uh, these two uh, Christian ladies that were struggling with their rebellious daughters, and I was trying to give them some encouragement from the Word and, and speaking to them about teaching their, 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 their daughters. And uh, one of them spoke up and said, well, uh, well I'm no theologian. And my response to her was, well, you need to become one. Yes. Listen, every Christian is a theologian. Yes. You're just either a good one or a bad one. And you've got to decide that. You've got to decide whether you're going to be a good one or a bad one. You're going to be a teacher. And you're going to be a teacher to your children, whether you want to be or not. Um, and, and I would just say, just by just getting as practical as I can, just start with the basics. Start with the basics. The ABCs and the one, two, three, threes of, uh, of the Christian faith. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Tell some Bible stories. Read the Scripture. Use other people's stuff. Isn't that wonderful in the day in which we live? We have all this stuff, man. We have all these, these resources. And, 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 and even though there's a lot of bad resources out there, there's also a lot of really good resources out there for us to teach. Enlist the help of other mature believers. Expose your children to good Christian literature. Read together, pray together, do ministry together. It's a great way to teach. Just do it. There's a second thing that uh, I think uh, we, can, we can draw from uh, um, uh, Moses giving sort of these, these memory um, uh, sparks, if you will, for, uh, for the people of God. He, he, says, he says to them, proclaim your faith. Back there in chapter 6, uh, again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Proclaim your faith. S- speak about who God is. Declare your faith publicly and privately. 
the the faithful the faithful um, Jew and would would daily repeat this this verse uh, the Shema Hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God what well, with all your heart with all your mind with all your might with all your strength with all that you are you're you're to love the Lord your God they would daily repeat that it was to be a memory trigger not a religious exercise right not just an empty religious exercise this this is our God and also this, this is our duty. This is our privilege. How great an honor to love the Lord our God. <laughs> Third thing, observe the Sabbath. This is chapter 5, verse 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath. This was one of the, the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We will relate that to us today. Regular, consistent worship was to be the fabric of Israel's life. And certainly, we can make an application for that. It is to be the fabric of our life. Regular, consistent worship. Right? To set aside a day, a day that, is, that belongs to the Lord, a day devoted to worship and service to God. It should be the part of the fabric of our life as well. I think it should be woven into everything we do. But a day set aside specifically for the purpose... For purpose of worship reminds us of God and how we're to live for Him. Number four, we're to give thanks for the blessings. Chapter 8, verse 10. Certainly, giving thanks for the blessings God's gifts, uh, God gives and remembering that everything we have comes from God keeps us from this sort of selfish pride. Reminds us who it is that provides for us and protects us and so on. Number five, confess your sins. Confess your sins. That's chapter 9, verse 4 and following. Chapter 9, verse 4 and following. This is, this is, this is not just a great exercise for Israelites, by the way. <laughs> Confess your sins. You know, as I was putting this together, I was thinking about my, my, my own life and practices and habits and everything else. And I hope you guys know this, that, that uh, before we ever give this to you, it, hits, it, it, it has to hit us first. And I, I, was so, I was so convicted with some of, the, some of the stuff and thinking about, you know, some of my habits and some of my, my own patterns and those kind of things. Listen, it, it ought to be not just the, the habit and pattern of your pastors and your leaders, but daily confession of our sins. Yes. Our acknowledgement for the ongoing need of God's grace is, is a wonderful wonderful, healthy habit to remind us of, of God. Confessing our sins not only maintains, I think, the sweetness of our fellowship with God, but reminds us of our spiritual need. Reminds us of Christ's great sacrifice for our forgiveness. 6. He told them to celebrate the Passover, chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. A reminder of God's provision salvation from, from death and from Egypt, uh, pointing, by the way, to a new and a better lamb, a new and a better salvation, a new and a better Moses, yes. the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll get to that here in a minute. He mentions tithing. Tithing. Oh boy, here we go. That's chapter 26, verses 1 to 11. But if we can just kind of relay this to the to the to the modern church, uh, let's just call it giving. Let's call it what it is. Uh, Christ didn't lower the standard. Some people ask me, should I be giving ten percent? No, you should be giving a hundred percent. You should be giving everything that you have. Jesus said, unless a man gives up everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. Everything belongs to the Lord. By the way, <coughs> tithing was uh, with that Old Testament standard. I don't want to lower the standard. Christ didn't lower the standard. Giving, giving is the the New Testament standard. Sacrificial, willing. Cheerful giving. Giving reminds us of the infinite value of God. That all we have comes from Him and that no gift to Him is wasted on something useless. Do you understand? No gift is wasted on Him. Eight, finally. 
He says, act with justice and compassion toward employees, toward immigrants and orphans and the poor. That's chapter 24 um, and chapter 15 as well. This was a reminder that, 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 that they represented God in the world. Israel did. They, they represented God in the world. Can we relate that to missions? Well, what a great reminder for us, right? We, we, we're not here to serve our own interests, but to serve the living God by representing Him here, right, in, in, in this world. And, and representing Him outside the borders of our own family and outside the borders of our own country. And we're to go with certain thoughts in our minds and, and certain words on our lips that reveal the true nature of God. We're to possess and, and, and to express certain attitudes that reflect God's compassion for the poor and the orphan and His passion for justice. Doing these things, I think, reminds us of God and why He's left us here. It reminds us of our mission in the world and who it is that saved us and called us to such a task. <laughs> and so we see this kind of common theme all the way through Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember the Lord your God. Remember Him. And of course, that other part of that theme is remember what He's done for you. Yes. Remember Him and remember what He's done for you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of, out of there with a mighty hand and, and an outstretched arm. Chapter 5, verse 15. Remember who you are and whose you are. You are a special possession, He calls them. Can we not make the same claim today through Christ our Lord that we are His special possession? These are... Listen, these are the very things we need to remember as God's people today. We need to do so, I think, intentionally, deliberately, and regularly. But how do we, how do, we do this? <laughs> organizing, I think, organizing our lives around regular practices of memory is still, I think, uh, profoundly kind of, kind of helpful. We're, we are, I think, for the most part, an undisciplined people yes. in America. I mean, we might be disciplined in certain areas, but I'm speaking spiritually. We're just, we're, we're just spiritually lazy and spiritually undisciplined. And I think, you know, just kind of starting with, with the basics and starting with just, just simple stuff. Just, just uh, starting somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. It's like starting an exercise program. You know, you don't go all in the first day. If you do, you're going to pay for it. And, and I think for most of us in, in the spiritual life, there's, there's, some, there's, some, there's some thoughts there. Just start with the simple things, the simple stuff. Just a daily, daily habit, changing a, a daily habit, a daily pattern that's going to begin to remind us of who God is and, and our responsibility to live for Him. Um, and, and, and not only these, these, these practices that, we, that we've mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the teaching, the instruction, you know, those kind of things, but, but daily disciplines of prayer and reading. And I found these things to be helpful in keeping my own Christian memory alive. All Christians, I, I think, share at least one profound practice of memory, and here it is. Yes. table. The Bible says, And He took bread, and He gave thanks, and He broke it, and He gave it to them, saying, This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. We're, we're, we're not, and here's the thing, we're not without opportunities to remember, are we? I mean, He's given us a lot of stuff to help us remember. It's just a matter of us, I think, deciding determining by His grace to do these things. From the Scriptures, we're reminded plainly that the, the, the righteous requirement of God uh, for sin is death. The Bible says, for the weight of sin is death. What kind of death is that? That's eternal death. That's separation from God for, for, for all eternity. That, that's hell. Separated from Him forever, right? I mean, that's, that's terrible and, 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 and awesome to think about our, our, our God. He, he is... Listen, our God is no one to be messed with. The wages of sin, what is death? 
reminds us of something else, someone else. That for those of us who believe there is forgiveness, there is life through a sinless substitute, Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Right? That's Jesus. Jesus, though He never sinned, bore the weight of God's judgment for our sin. Isaiah chapter 5, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. I mean, this is what God requires, a death. And the price that God requires is the price that God Himself paid through His own Son. How amazing is that? According to the Scriptures, sin must be paid for. And this meal reminds us that our sins were paid for in full. In full. Your suffering would would never be enough to pay the high price for your sin. Jesus Christ died. He suffered as a substitute in the place of and on behalf of sinners, us. Christ's death was not merely a statement against evil or just an expression of love, but a payment that satisfied God's demand. Christ's death was necessary to pay for our sins, and this table represents that. Our blessed Savior took upon Himself the full weight of the wrath of the Almighty to pay the wage of our sin. He died the death that we deserve. He died as a substitute for us. And this supper reminds us of those, uh, reminds those of us who, who believe that we, by the free gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ, now enjoy forgiveness of sin and peace with God. We are accepted by God now. Not because of any good works that we've done or will do, but through Jesus, through His merits, through His righteous life, through His sacrifice. May I just pause and say, we cannot forget that. We can't forget that. It's too important. It's too important for your own soul. Right? It's too important. I mean, we, we do so to our own peril to forget that. And I think we have to be very, very about remembering. Back to Psalm 111, just that verse, that verse 2, that verse that inspired the founding of the, the Cavendish Laboratory, which we mentioned. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Listen to that. The works of the Lord, listen, they're not limited to creation, to the natural world. The psalmist, I think, also had in mind God's saving acts on behalf of His people. And also God's words. The works of His hands are faithful and just. This is from the same psalm. All of His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. That's verses 7 and 8 from that same psalm. Everything God says in His Word and does in, in His world serves as a prompt to remind us. Indeed, that's exactly, I think, God's intention. He has, he has caused or made His wonders to be remembered the Scripture says. But all too often, I think we miss the message. We, we forget. But some don't forget. <laughs> in fact, he says that in verse 2, those who delight in God's Word, what do they do? They, they ponder them. They think about them. They remember them. Hmm. Let me ask you today, do you, do you delight in God? Do you delight in His Word? Do you delight in remembering Him? To delight in something requires stopping, I think, and noticing it, attending to it, treasuring it, as you would a, a photograph right, of your grandchildren. I love, I love my, my sweet wife, and, and uh, these, these days, you know, I remember when I first got married, she used to look at my pictures. You remember that? Some of you guys remember that? You know, when your wife used to look at you? Now she, now she looks at our grandkids. Yeah, she just looks at her pictures. She just flips through. Uh, Micah will send videos, and she sits 
laughs and she looks at all these pictures. She's pondering. She's thinking about it. She's delighting in those little, little precious little things, right? I don't begrudge that, by the way. <laughs> it is a good thing. It's to ponder it. It's, it's to, to think about it. It's to light in it. Although I think ponder can kind of sound passive or sort of, uh, sort of abstract to us. It's not. The original Hebrew is, is, is an active word. It's an eager word. It's, it is, it's overflowing, I think, with life. It, it, it means to seek out with care, to search after, to inquire, to examine, to interrogate. In fact, the same word is used of Ezra in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, to study, he says. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study that is to ponder, to study, and, and the observance of the law of the Lord, and to teaching its decrees and its laws in Israel. Mm. That's what biblical remembering looks like, by the way. <laughs> Actively, earnestly, deliberately reflecting on God and thinking carefully about what He's said and what He's done, rehearsing, recalling, relishing His story, and our role in it, by the way. Thanking Him, praising Him for rescuing us and for giving us gifts and opportunities uh, that we've had for success and service and ministry. Acknowledging who we are and whose we are. Remembering, I think, is, is deliberate. Right? It, it, it is deliberate attention by God's people. Forgetting, I, I, it doesn't take any special effort. You just don't do anything. Right? It just happens. I mean, we naturally forget. Hmm. But if we don't look at God's Word, right... If we don't look at God's Word, we, we, we lose our delight in Him. Yes. We lose our way. We lose our perspective. We forget who we are and, by the way, whose we are. In closing, listen, we need to remember. We need to remember to remember. What a great, I think, reminder for Thanksgiving and for Missions Month. Let me close with a quote from B. Um, Warfield or Benjamin. Some of you may know him. Here's what, he, here's what he says. He says, He who knows that it is God who has chosen him and not he who has chosen God, and that he owes his entire salvation in all its processes and in every one of its stages to this choice of God, would be an ingrate indeed if he gave not the glory of his salvation solely to the inexplicable elective love of God. Mm. He goes on to say that this... Minding of the doctrines of grace or to impassion or stir up our worship and service to God. Yes. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this, this reminder and I hope God, you know, there's some practical things by which we can improve our memories. Oh God, we, we confess that daily, Lord, our minds have wandered to lesser things. And I pray, Father, that today through this, through this act, through this, this remembering, this table of, of memorial and memory, that God, You would draw our minds and our attention again to You. That we might reflect upon and think about soberly and seriously the great price that was paid for our salvation. And in doing so, Lord, remember, remember You. Remember the One who, who actually made the sacrifice. Remember You, God, who, who provided all this for us. Lord, not just the benefits, but, but, but You, God, Your, your character, your, your person, you, you, you that were motivated in Your love that, that You declared and set upon us before the foundation of the world, poured this love out abundantly through the death of Your Son to provide, Lord, this great salvation that we now enjoy. May You cause Your people, Lord, 
to worship and adore You and to truly, truly remember. And I also pray, God, that You might remind us, Lord, at this table is... <laughs> it is here we, we find grace. Lord, we, we understand there's no saving grace in the act. There is no special, mysterious, saving grace in this. But, but Lord, I pray that we might remember the one behind the act, the one who gave His body and shed His blood. And that we might find again, Lord, the grace that we need, grace of forgiveness and remembering grace, sanctifying grace. And remember, Lord, because of His sacrifice, this grace that we need is ours through Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.